So I'm going to uh, quote a little bit. Uh, Hebrews 4, 12 through 16 is what we're on tonight. And I have it in front of me because uh, I'm, I might have to look down a little bit, so you'll be all right with that. So for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, uh, of both joints and marrow, able to judge in thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Therefore, since we have a, such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us draw near, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, who has suffered, one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace with confidence that we may find mercy and receive grace, may receive mercy and find grace in time of need. So that's what we're going to look at tonight. So in your notes, number one, the Bible is a supernatural book. It is living alive, which means that when we pick it up to read it, study or memorize it, the Holy Spirit becomes very active in us while we read while we study, while we memorize. And so the book of it, in of itself um, is not alive. It's what happens, the Spirit of God working on us. And so what you might say is that the, the Bible is a trigger and there's certain activities that uh, the Bible suggests are a trigger in the sense that the Spirit of God living in us, dwelling us, waits for certain activity, then we are empowered energized by the Spirit. Acts 1.8 is a classic example. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be my witnesses. So the purpose of the power in that verse is that we would be a witness for Jesus. So the question is, when does the power work? The answer is when we witness and until we witness. And then that power is released. It's like a key on a car with a 500 horsepower engine. Uh, Until we turn the key on, there's no power. So certain activities activate the power of God in us. And one of them is reading the Bible. It's living, it's active, it's sharp as a two-edged sword. And when we pick it up, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit works in us and, and leads us into truth and convicts us and does a number of things in us through the power of the Word of God. Often, sometimes, when people talk to me about the Bible and whether they, uh, it's valid, whether it's true, whether it's inspired, I say, you really won't know the answer to that until you read it. In the very act of reading, you will begin to experience God working in your life. And that uh, experience of God working in your life becomes a convincer uh, that, indeed, it is inspired. Second Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. And so God's word was inspired by the Holy Spirit. Men wrote it, and as they wrote it, God's spirit was on them, guiding and directing as they wrote. Second um, Peter 1.20, but know this, know this, first of all. In other words, that's a kind of a phrase you'd say, this is really important, pay attention to this. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. In other words, you're going to read the Bible and you're not going to get it on your own. You won't be able to make heads or tails out of the Bible just using uh, your own intelligence and ability uh, to grasp truth. 
is it is a matter of the Spirit of God working in us. It was inspired by the Spirit and is understood by the Spirit. And so that way, and that's why it's called living. John 16, Jesus says this, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, and this is just before he's betrayed, crucified, he has this uh, message for the disciples in Matthew or John 15 through 17. When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide you into all truth. That guiding takes place when we read the Bible. For he will not speak of his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine. He will take of mine. Jesus is speaking, and that would be his words, and disclose it to you help you to understand it, it will become living, active, and sharp as a two-edged sword. Number two, a major activity of the Holy Spirit in us as we read the Bible is to program and soften our conscience. So if you were to do a little study of conscience, and if we were to ask about that word, in, in other words, what is your conscience, and most of us would easily uh, agree that some people's conscience is almost non-existent. They can do a lot of evil and not feel any grief, remorse, guilt over it at all. Paul talks about conscience as being calloused and conscience as being seared so that there's very little sensitivity to them. And so we do that to ourselves because of our natural proneness to self-defense. We don't like feeling guilty. We don't uh, like the... uh, a feeling of having done wrong or bad. And so what we do at a very young age to cope with that, instead of repenting, changing, uh, we justify it, we excuse it, we blame it on others. And as we do that repeatedly, our conscience becomes increasingly more callous and insensitive to our own wrongs. And pretty soon you can do something that's hurtful, offensive, wrong, and you don't even know it because you've lost the sensitivity Uh, to your own uh, sins. And so if we want to live a life that's pleasing to the Lord, one that's holy, righteous, pure, our conscience needs to become uh, sensitive. That is, we immediately sense when we do something wrong, say something wrong, think something wrong. And as we uh, are sensitive to our own sin and grow in that sensitivity, our ability to become more righteous and holy grows as well as we respond to it correctly. So the question is, how do you do that? Uh, How do you soften your conscience, as it were, become more sensitive to sin? And the answer is by reading the Bible. That's one of the roles of the Holy Spirit in us as we read the Word of God, is it softens our conscience. Hebrews 4.12 again, the Word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit. The division of soul and spirit goes down to the core of our being, of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so this cutting action, piercing, is convicting. That's what it means to be convicted, is to have this pierced down to the very core of our being. And so the Word of God is living, active, pierces uh, right down between soul and spirit, joints and marrow, depths of our being as we read it, as we pay attention, as the Spirit works in it to us. One of the hardest things, number three, for us to learn in life, is how to know what our motives are for what we do. We can easily do all the right things for all the wrong reasons and not even know it. 
And so we were to ask the question, where, uh, what is the source of my motive? Do I do everything I do for um, ego gratification so that people think I'm cool to look good? Do I do everything I do to earn more money? Uh, do I do everything I do to have a more comfortable life? What drives my decisions? Everything we do without exception has a motivation behind it. And if we don't know our motivation, we can do things for the wrong reason. So you would probably guess this correctly. If you do the right thing for the wrong reason, does it count <laughs> uh, as far as God is concerned? And the answer is uh, no. If you're doing it for pride's sake, if you're doing it for people to please people, you can do a lot of good things for wrong reasons and it doesn't accomplish anything, it doesn't amount to anything, and as far as God is concerned, it really doesn't um, count as far as you as a person and the rewards that you would receive from him. So what am I going to do? How am I going to discover what drives me, what motivates me. Hebrews 4.12 again. The word of God is living, active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, able to judge the thoughts and intentions. Intentions, another word for intentions would be motives. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So the more we read the Bible, the softer our conscience will become and the more we will begin to be in tune with our own motives, the things that, would, that drive us, the reason, the why behind our activity. So once you know your motive, then as your motives elevate and what you might call uh, purity or godliness, uh, the intentions you have are directed towards pleasing him and serving others, driven and motivated by love, then obviously we're going to be increasingly more motivated as those motives become more pure and we're going to be more energized and strengthened by God as well. And he will bless those efforts as we do that. Able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. That's God's word. So as I read it, I ask before I start, Lord, would you guide me into all truth? You promised in your word you would do that. I am now asking that you would do that. Would you convict me of any sin in my life that I'm not aware of as I read it? Would you pierce to the core of my being? And would you, Lord, help me to grow in my ability to know uh, what drives me, what motivates me, why I do the things that I do, so that everything I do is not only right, but pleasing to you because the motives are pure. Number four, another major result of faithfully reading the word of, the word of God is that the fear of the Lord grows stronger and stronger in us. So as you read the, the Bible and ask, uh, look up the word bless, blessing, blessed, you'll see that blessing is conditional. God blesses when we do something. And the question is, what is it that God blesses? Uh, there are almost 100 references to being blessed or uh, having blessings in our life, and every one of them will have a, a condition attached to it. And so as you read what it is that we do that God will bless, you'll find that uh, one of the ones at the top of the list is those who fear God. Those who fear God will be greatly blessed. Those who fear God will not be in want of any good thing. Those who fear God, the angels of God will encamp around them. 
Those who fear God, they will know the secrets, the inner truth of God. We'll see those verses in a minute. Deuteronomy 17, 18, Moses writes this, and he's, it's sort of a prophecy in the sense that they don't have a king, but he knows that someday they will. And so this passage is instruction for their future king. It says, Now it shall come about that when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law. Uh, at that time, that was the first five books of the Bible. He shall write for himself a copy of this law in the presence of the Levitical priest, and that was so that it would be done right. They would watch to make sure there were no mistakes. It shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life. All the days of his life. How is it that I say that? Every day, every day, every day. Yeah. All the days of his life. That Here's why. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God. That he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of this law and these statutes. So when we talk about why read the Bible, it makes your conscience sensitive and tender. It helps you become aware of the motives for why you do what you do and you grow in your fear of the Lord. That his heart may not be lifted up above his countrymen, that he may learn not turn aside from the commandment to the right or to the left so that he and his sons may continue along in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. Um, so number five, the first aspect of fearing God is being aware of his presence. Being aware of his presence. That he sees everything we do, hears everything we say, and knows everything we do, everything we think. He sees everything we do, hears everything we say, knows everything we think. And the stronger that is in us, the more we are aware of his presence around us, the more our behavior uh, is influenced by the awareness that he sees and hears and knows what we think. When we first built our first building, some of you around then, Bill was, Carolyn, uh, was from the kitchen down wasn't built. It was all the other way, the first little building. And, and so that we would have room for parties, we didn't build any walls in the, the part that was this way. They were all folding partitions. We had a couple of little walls to support it, but almost everything was folding partitions. And we built them out of paneling. We cut it up in two-foot pieces, put two-by-fours in between it, nailed it, and put hinges on it. And then we put some track up there. It was kind of crude, but it worked pretty good. You could slide it closed and have a wall with a door in it and slide it open, open the whole thing all up. And so one time I walked down the hall that is now the hall with the partitions closed, and um, Sam, my son, who was about that big at the time, was in the room, and Mrs. Lee was teaching it, and I could hear him. And I stopped, and I looked through the crack. There was about a quarter-inch crack between each of the partitions. I looked through the crack and watched him and observed him being uh, quite rude and bad and a major trial to Mrs. Lee. <laughs> so I went and opened the door to the back of the classroom, walked in, sat down in the back. And when I walked in, he saw me, and uh, he was good as gold the rest of the class. So that night at home, I said, Sam, do you remember me walking into your classroom? He said, yes. Just before I walked in, I stopped and was looking through the crack in the partition, and I watched you. And you were being very, very bad. So, here's the deal. I walk by that room a dozen times while you're in it, and every time I do, I'm going to stop and look through the crack. And if you are being bad, you're going to dig a ditch from here to China. do you understand me? And he said, yes, sir. 
So about a week later, I asked Mrs. Lee, I said, how's Sam doing? She said, he is just as good as gold. <laughs> I can't believe the change has taken over him, but he has developed this strange tick. I said, what do you mean? He's always looking over at the wall, you know. <laughs> so what do you call that? Fear of dad. So it wasn't there when I wasn't there, when I wasn't watching. And so with us, if we're not aware of God seeing what we do, hearing what we say, knowing what we think constantly, we kind of lose that. And so that begins what the definition is. Hebrews 4.13, there's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And uh, that's a good verse to memorize. No creature, that's speaking of me, <laughs> call us creatures. I remember one time my wife was reading that and she started laughing. She says, I knew it. I said, what are you talking about? You're a creature. <laughs> I said, that's you too, that's all of us. No creature hidden from his sight. All things are open, laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. First Chronicles 28, 9, as for you, my son Solomon, David's getting ready to die and so he's having this lecture with his son Know, that, know the God of your father, serve him with a whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches all hearts, searches all hearts, understands every intent of the thoughts, every intent of the thoughts. If you seek him, he will let you find him. If you forsake him, he will reject you. Psalms thirty-three, thirteen: the Lord looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his dwelling place. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all, he who understands all their works. <clears throat> Psalms 44, 20, if we had forgotten the name of our God or extended our hands to a strange God, would not God find this out? For he knows the secrets of the heart. He knows the secrets of the heart. Psalms 90, verse 8, you have placed, you God have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. That is, you see everything we do. You know everything. Proverbs 15, 3, the eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. Jeremiah 17:10 I the Lord search the heart I test the mind even to give to each man according to his ways according to the result of his deeds So the full definition of the fear of God is he sees everything I do he hears everything I say he knows everything I think and I know that he rewards and blesses right behavior and he disciplines wrong behavior The Lord's Disciplines those whom he loves. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Whatever we sow, that's what we will reap. And so a lot of people live their life as if God is blind. A lot of people live their life as if God is deaf. They live their lives as if God doesn't care, that he's too busy, that he has no clue what they're doing, or that he simply winks at what we do and it doesn't really matter. Um, God is a God of detail. And every little thing that we do matters to him. And his goal is that we would grow to become righteous and holy and have the character of Christ. And so he works in our life even as a loving father would. Those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, scourges every son whom he receives. So the fear of the Lord is knowing that, and being aware of that, that he rewards, he blesses, and he also disciplines. So the average individual experiences some difficulty in their life and by the way, there's a number of reasons why bad things happen to me and you. One is bad things happen to everybody. It's the curse, Adam's fault. And so we're all going to have our share of rain and bad days. That's just the way it is. Um, 
Another reason is God sovereignly brings it into our life to develop our character. Uh, it's not really uh, what you might call discipline, but it is a potter shaping the clay, making us like himself, and so he knows what we need to grow, and he'll bring those things into our life. Uh, he'll bring things into our life that are difficult uh, to change our direction, um, to guide us into his perfect will, sort of like a rudder, as it were. And then one is bad things happen because we've done bad things and we're reaping the consequence of those choices. So when something happens I don't like, something that's difficult, something that's a trial, minor or major, I don't try to figure out, okay, which reason is it? I just assume that I did something and God's disciplining me for it. Now, it may not be, but I would rather err on the side of saying it is than erring on the side of saying it isn't. Because if I say it is, then it's going to motivate me to pursue holiness and righteousness because I don't enjoy being disciplined by the Lord. Number six, a significant result of the incarnation is that Jesus understands and sympathizes with our struggles and desires. To, uh, let's see, I skipped a part again. I should have checked these notes. Uh, huh? Okay. Leviticus 25. No. Oh, I'm on the one. That's what I'm on. I, you're, I'm good there. Okay. A significant result of the incarnation is that Jesus understands and sympathizes with our struggles and desires to help us conquer them. So this is a point at which it's a little difficult for some uh, to grasp and uh, difficult even for some to accept that there are some things that even a sovereign God doesn't know. And it isn't that he doesn't know knowledge. It's that he doesn't know what we need. He doesn't fully understand us. And this, the book of Hebrews said that Jesus had to become like us so that he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. And so this passage in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses? He can. One who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. So he can sympathize with our weaknesses. Why? Well, because he went through what we went through. He was tempted in every area that we are tempted. And even God in his sovereignty without having gone through what it means to be tempted to sin and to suffer, uh, there is an inability or a limit to what he can understand and what he is enabled to do for us. And so the he book of Hebrews says that three different places at three different times, that he is a merciful high priest who fully understands and grasps all that we're going through so we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, because we have this kind of high priest, therefore let us draw near with confidence. That is, we don't have to worry about God uh, thinking that we're wimpy, weak, we should have gotten this. Uh, we can draw with, to the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy, mercy for our sin, our mistakes, our failures, uh, and grace, that's his strength, to help to grow 
to conquer, to become the kind of person we ought to become. Isaiah 53, 4, surely our griefs he himself bore. Uh, to bear our griefs is, uh, is more than simply to pay the price of them. That means he felt them, he experienced them. Our sorrows he carried, yet we ourselves esteem him stricken, smitten of God, afflicted, but he was pierced through for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And so Jesus is a fully sympathetic, understanding Savior because he went through what we went, go through. And so there's nothing that's outside his understanding of our life. Hebrews two seventeen through 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things. He had no option. He had to be made like me in every detail so that the result being that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He is able, and the reason he is able is because he himself was tempted. And so Jesus went through all that he went through because he wanted to be our helper, our savior, our strength. And uh, we can come to the throne throne room of grace with confidence, knowing that he won't uh, consider us a loser. He understands and we will receive mercy and grace. Number seven, as we live our life, a prayer that Jesus loves to answer is for strength to face the trials, pressures of life, and for the successful pursuit of holiness. If you go through the Bible, Genesis, Revelation, you look at every prayer prayed, you'll see that the prayer for strength is number one. And so if it is most often prayed in the Bible, recorded in the Bible, that's very probable that God put that there so that we would know that that's a prayer that's a legitimate prayer and one that God loves to answer. He loves to give his strength to those who ask for it. Those who wait upon the Lord shall be renewed in their strength. To wait upon the Lord means to come, to depend, to sit at his feet. Those who wait upon the Lord shall be renewed in their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. Hebrews 4, 14, there again. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace, his strength to help in time of need. Seemed like I forgot something. Amen.